God's Word, whether you have it electronically, whether you have it in paper, uh, I'm going to invite you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. I uh, also want to just let you know, uh, because the power was going, you know, not on, I thought, oh boy, I get the Sunday off from having to talk about what I'm going to have to talk about. And then the power came back on. I was like, oh, so I just want to let you know that this is a sensitive topic to, to many of you. We are going to this morning go through what the Bible has to say about sex, marriage, and divorce. And I know for some of you that is going to be sensitive. And I want you to hear my heart is I love you. I show grace to you and I, I care about you deeply. That's why when we come to topics like this in God's word, we don't skip them. We go over them together because we want to see what God's Word says. And so I'm going to do the very best I can to present that to you this morning. Uh, but I want you to know from my heart, I care deeply about you. And that's why we are going over these things. As we've been moving through relationship status, uh, we've said no matter your status, whether you are single, you're dating, you're widowed, you're married, or you're divorced, that simply how you relate to God determines how you relate to others. How you relate to others determines how you relate to God, okay? So pretty much biblically, it's impossible to say, I love God and I hate somebody else, or I hate this person, but I love God. So within our status, no matter what status you have today, even our teenagers, this is something for you, all right? So no matter your age, where you are, because here's what I want you to get out of today. Every single one of us, here's what I want you to know because it applies to you. It's up on the screen for you to be able to write down. God's desire for your life is your holiness more than your happiness. Okay, so again, no matter your status, single, dating, married, widowed, divorced, God's desire for your life is your holiness more than your happiness. Happiness is found in the pursuit of holiness. But what the mistake a lot of people make, and a lot of Christians make this mistake as well, is they trade holiness for happiness. All right? So they'll say, well, wait a minute, I'll bypass doing what God wants me to do. I'll ignore that part of the word of God because I want to do just what makes me happy. All right, so their thought is the ethic of the way I'm going to live my life out, the decisions I'm going to make is based on my thoughts, my feelings, my desires, my happiness. But God says, no, 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 no. I'm out to make you holy. And when you pursue me in a relationship in your holiness, that's where you're going to find your happiness. That's where you're going to find your true joy. Because Paul told us in the end of chapter 6, something that's very important, that's going to determine how we relate to others, no matter our relationship status. In chapter 6 and verse 9, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 
All right, so week one, we talked about how we can glorify God in our bodies. Last week, Pastor Matt talked about singleness and how we can glorify God in our singleness. And this morning, how do we glorify God with our bodies within the context of marriage? And so Paul picks up in verse one, and he's going to begin to talk about sexual activity within the context of marriage. He says, verse one, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, or your translation may say, touch a woman. So up to this point in 1 Corinthians, what's been happening is Paul has been responding to things they've been doing, all right, or things they've heard they've been doing. So he said, hey, I've heard you guys have done this, this, and this. I need to bring some correction and, and help you pursue holiness here more than just happiness. But notice verse 1, what he said. He said in verse 1, you guys have wrote this, right? You, you've been texting me this. You've been Facebook messaging me this. You wrote me a note. You mailed it. Whatever you did, you guys are saying it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So within the church of Corinth, just like there would be sometimes within our churches, there's two extreme views when it comes to sex. One view was this, that singleness and celibacy is a higher calling than marriage. So even within marriage, there were folks within the Corinth church that said it's a higher calling to be married and to remain sexless than to practice the activity of sex within your marriage. Okay, so that's, that's one side. Then you had the other extreme that where a lot of people hang out on, and even in some churches, where they say, hey, all things are lawful for me, right? So because all things are lawful for me, if it feels good, it must be right because it feels good. So I'm going to determine my morality of right and wrong and what I do based on my feelings, based on my thoughts. So the authority of my life is not God and his word, the authority of my life is me and my feelings, right? So you, you had those two camps that he's bringing out in verse one. The, hey, I'm just gonna do it and do whatever I wanna do because it feels right. And then the, no, 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 no. Even if you are married, don't even have sex because that's a higher calling uh, to remain celibate. So Paul's going, all right, we gotta bring some biblical knowledge in here. And that's why he says in verses two through four, this of how we honor and glorify God in our bodies in marriage. So he picks up in verse two and he says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, for some of you, you go, what? <laughs> Hang on. Are you kidding me? What in the world is this? Paul has taken us back to Genesis chapter 2 in verse 24. Because pretty much any teaching on marriage you're going to read in the Bible always brings you back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. So, so let's go over uh, that verse. Genesis 2 verse 24, you have in the Garden of Eden, 
God says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. All right, we're going to leave that on the screen for you for a moment because we're going to get into this verse. So essentially, in the Garden of Eden, you had the first wedding, three people, God, Adam, Eve, all right? Animals were around, and they might have participated in the wedding ceremony somehow, okay? But we know cats would not have been the ring bearer because cats do not call when you come, and they just kind of do their own thing, right? Even in the Garden of Eden, they would not have obeyed, okay? But you have essentially the first marriage ceremony right there. And God says marriage is a one man and one woman coming together in marriage. And notice what it says. When they come together, they become one flesh. There's a union there, a covenant there. And the only way that covenant should be broken is if death parts one of the people. All right, so if one spouse passes away, that oneness then is broken. But because we become one flesh in marriage, that's why Paul says the way we show devotion to our spouse is we say, my body's really not my body. My body belongs to you. Your body belongs to me. And so sex within marriage is showing that devotion to that spouse. It's honoring God within the context of marriage through the sexual activity that's designed only for the context of marriage. Because we see that sex is more than just an activity. Sex between a man and a woman creates a bond, creates an emotional bond, creates a physical bond, creates a spiritual bond. That's why God has reserved it for marriage and marriage only. And so Paul's saying there that in marriage, this is a way we show devotion to our spouses. Now, of course, when we talk about having authority over each other's bodies, that's, that's not bringing into abuse. That's not allowing for abuse in any way, but it's to show devotion. But notice also verse 5, he shows us that sex within marriage helps us fight against temptation. He says, verse 5, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so sex within the context of marriage is another way as spouses, we help each other to stay pure within our physical relationships. Because again, remember what God's after. God, no matter your relationship status this morning, single, married, widow, divorced, dating, whether you are a teenager or you are 95 years old, God is after your holiness more than your happiness. God wants you to be holy because happiness is rooted in that holiness, in that pursuit of holiness. And so we see there that verse 5 tells us temptation enters into a marriage and sex between the husband and the wife helps us fight against that. And so let me just say this, that Satan will attack your marriage in the area of purity. Guys, and this is a growing problem among females right now, if Satan can get you to look at pornography you will then develop 
a mindset and a heart for the person you are seeing on the computer screen more than the person who is in the room for you and with you. And so this morning, if that's you, learn to flee from that. As we've talked about earlier, flee from sexual immorality. That pornography is not good in your marriage. It is hurting your marriage because you are allowing Satan to come in and tempt you away from your spouse. Remember, the mission of our marriage is to help each other grow as godly believers in Jesus Christ because God desires your holiness more than just your happiness in your life. Happiness is rooted in that holiness. So Paul continues uh, talking to singles in verse 5 through verse 9, and that's what Pastor Matt covered with you last week. We kind of did a coin flip when we set up this series to see who would have the harder passage to preach. I'll let you guys to decide that one at this point in the message, right? And so if you haven't listened to Pastor Matt's message on singleness, I will encourage you to do that. But then he picks up in verse 10, addressing married couples again and showing you how now the gospel and God works within the context of marriage. Verse 10, he says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Now notice what Paul said in verse 10. He says, not I, but the Lord, right? So what Paul is essentially saying there is, look, I'm just passing on what Jesus has already said, right? I, I, I didn't come up with this. So Paul, when he writes this, is saying the authority in my life is Jesus, not me. So again, in your relationship status this morning, no matter where you are, single, married, dating, divorced, widowed, who's the authority in your life? Because that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Every question you have about the Bible, every decision you ever have to make, who's the authority in your life? God or you, right? Are you your own authority or is God your authority? Because if you're your own authority, then you're going to fall into the trap of just saying, well, I'm going to make moral decisions and ethical decisions based on how I think, based on how I feel. But if God's your authority, then when it comes time to make those decisions, you're going to come back to the word of God and say, well, well hang on, God's my authority. And so here's what I'm going to do because I recognize his authority in my life. So one day, every single one of you, including me, is going to have to stand before the God who made you, and you're going to answer that very question. Who's your authority? Him or you? And so Paul says, listen, guys, Christ is my authority. God's my authority. So verse 10, to the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord, right? I'm just passing this on. The wife should not separate from her husband, verse 11. But if she does, remain unmarried or else be reconciled. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, the words separate and divorce are used interchangeably in that text. But essentially, it's pointing us to divorce. Because when divorce and remarriage happens, then reconciliation at that point, has the door's been closed. It's impossible. So what is Paul getting this from? He's getting this from Jesus. 
where Jesus says in Mark chapter 10 and verses 11 through 12, he says, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So understand, when God puts marriage together, it's one man, one woman, and the design is that marriage lasts until death breaks the marriage apart. That's God's original design. Now, I know there are a lot of questions going on in your head right now. I get that. And Paul is not in this passage giving you a comprehensive theology on divorce and remarriage. He's answering one particular issue that came across his plate in talking to the Corinthians. All right? And so I can't answer every question you have. So here's what we want to do. If you've got questions on this, and believe me, some of you have had some really good questions that we've been moving through 1 Corinthians, ask us. Let us know. Let me know. Let Pastor Matt know. We're taking about a week or two break from our podcast right now, but what we're doing is we're assembling all these questions, and we're going to start moving through them on our podcast. So if you've got a question about divorce, remarriage, we'll be happy to tackle that for you more in depth on the podcast. And don't worry, when you ask the question, we're not going to call you out by name, all right? We're not going to be like, hey, Jimmy asked this question, right? Not going to do that. We'll keep you anonymous. Don't worry. All right. Protect your identity there. You know, we could even put you behind like one of those little screens where they blur out your face. Right. I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. Just make sure you're still with me. All right. So if you've got those, please, please let us ask us. We will be more than happy to sit down and talk with you personally about it, tackle it on our podcast. But let me answer some questions I know some of you probably have. In a situation of abuse, is divorce permissible? Because we see there are times in the Bible that divorce is permissible. But again, it goes against God's intended design. What about the cases of abuse? Well, honestly, the Bible never addresses that chapter and verse where they say, okay, if abuse happens, here's what you do. But I think we can put together a good answer for that. And it's number one, this, there's no person whoever deserves to be abused physically, emotionally, or verbally, period. No person ever deserves that. And if that is happening within a marriage, then yes, counseling needs to be sought. Reconciliation needs to be sought. Legal authorities may need to be sought in that area. But there may come a time where divorce is the safest option for the female and if kids are involved. I'll give you a, a, an example. It happened years ago and she came into my office. I won't say her name for her security and protection. But she was about 5'3", five, 5'4". Five, One of those folks who just had to run around the shower to probably get wet. Okay, Just small lady. Her husband, uh, who was an alcoholic, he's a good 6'3", 240, 250, big guy. She walked in my office, black eye, her face was battered that day. Now, we had not known as a church that he had been beating on her. But he had been beating on her in places where the bruises had been, always been hidden. But that day, he had drank too much, and he lost control, and he physically beat her on her face, and it was obvious. And she sat down, and she told me what was happening. And I put my phone in the middle of the table, and I said these words to her. 
said, before you leave my office, you are either calling the sheriff or I'm calling the sheriff, but one of us is calling the sheriff before you leave here. And she did. She called the sheriff. Then I called one of our deacons of our church that was bigger than me because I'm not real fast and I'm not real strong. And I said, we need to go see this gentleman. And I told him what was happening. And we went over to his house. And we said, we know what you've done. We've called the authorities. And we're going to sit here with you until they show up. And don't ever lay your hands on your wife again. Because not only are each one of us created in the image of God, but if she's a believer in Jesus, you're now abusing one of God's daughters. And God's kids don't deserve physical, emotional, or verbal abuse. Period. Amen? And so there are cases when abuse is there. That again, after maybe counseling, reconciliation attempts, the safest option may be divorce. But what about what Jesus says? Because Jesus also gives us what's known as called an exception clause. And let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Because Paul tells us there not to divorce in 1 Corinthians 7. Mark and Luke don't mention this, but Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be back in 1 Corinthians 7, so you can bookmark that. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32 addresses divorce. And he says, but I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So that's what we call the exception clause, that Jesus is saying, again, maybe divorce is permissible only on the grounds of sexual immorality. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 19, because the Pharisees are going to come to Jesus one day, and they're going to ask him a bunch of questions, and really they're asking him a bunch of questions to trap them, try to trap him up and, and to get him to stumble over his words and maybe say something contradictory to what he's already said. But in Matthew chapter 19, Picking up in verse 3, it says, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one wife for any cause or any reason? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Boy, that sounded familiar, didn't it? And that Genesis 2.24 he just quoted? Verse 6, he says, you're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So again, Jesus is showing us that marriage in God's design is one man, one woman forever until death parts one of the spouses. But he picks up in verse 7, and they said, well, Jesus, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Verse 8, he said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, marries another, commits adultery. So what Jesus is saying is if sexual immorality has happened within the marriage, 
that divorce may, yes, be permissible, but it is not commanded that it has to happen. That again, after a period of counseling, reconciliation, that decision may come, but it's not part of God's ideal or God's design because God's design is for our holiness more than our happiness. Well, let me ask this question as well, and let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I want you to find verse 39 because this one's going to apply to a lot of you uh, because what about a widow? If you are widowed, can you get remarried? Yeah, because there are some that say, well, no, not even widows can be remarried. Well, what does the Bible have to say about that? In verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband, Paul says, as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. And so Paul says, yes, if you've been widowed and you find another uh, Christian you know, spouse, then, then fine, that, that's okay biblically. Because death has broken that union that you created with that first spouse. Well, let me ask this final question because this one comes up a lot as well. And you may be thinking it. Well, I'm married to a non-Christian. What do I do? And that's a very real possibility. Maybe you were both not Christians when you met. And one person got saved and the other person hasn't yet. What happens when a believer is married to a non-believer. What, what takes place in that situation? Well, let's go to chapter 7, 1 Corinthians. Let's pick up in verse 12. Paul says, to the rest, I say, uh, not I, but the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Verse 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such the case, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Now notice verse 16, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife. And so what he's getting at in verse 16, essentially this, you know, if the unbeliever leaves, abandons you, divorces you, okay, you're free to remarry, but why not try to keep that marriage together? You, you don't know when they may come to the Lord. They may come and, you know, get saved a, a day from now, a week from now, a month from now. And so don't, don't close the door so quickly on this. You know, I know, again, this is an, an emotional topic for a lot of you and uh, because of things maybe in your background. And I've, I prayed a lot this week for you and some of you by name because I know some of your stories. And let me encourage you in this. Married couples, your mission field is your spouse. Your wife, men, will stand before Jesus one day. And husbands, your job is to help your wife get ready for that meeting. Wives, your husbands will stand before Jesus one day. Your job as a wife is to get your husband ready for that meeting. So together in the Lord, pursue holiness. 
Help each other be the best disciples of Jesus you possibly can be because the loved one you are married to will appear before the Lord one day and help them get ready for that. Let me say this as well to our married couples today. There is not one marriage in this room, second service or first service, that is perfect. I told first services, some of you have been married almost longer than I have been alive. But guess what? There is not one married couple that's perfect. You know, I was reading through Abraham and Sarah and their story recently. And I mean, that turkey was like over 100 years old. They've been married forever. And there are two cases when he comes up against foreign leaders that he tries to pass his wife off as his sister in order to save his neck, right? You think that dinner conversation later went well in that marriage? No. What does that show you? Even a guy who's over 100 still had a lot to learn in marriage. There's not one of us is perfect in this. My marriage to my wife, Sandra, is not perfect. We have been married, thankfully, by God's grace for almost 18 years now. We have had our ups and downs. We have had our trials. We have had our problems. We have sought counseling over the years. We've talked to other couples over the years that have helped us through some things. And I am a sinner that needs Jesus Christ in my life. My wife is a sinner who needs Jesus Christ in her life. Now, for any of you that have hung out with us together for about 10 minutes, you know I'm the bigger sinner than she is, okay? And I had to say that just to make sure I evened it out from 9 to 1030, all right? But it is the dead truth. I need Jesus just as much as anyone in here in our marriage. But let me encourage you in this in your marriage. It is worth fighting for. Your marriage is worth the hard times of fighting and pursuing holiness. If you are thinking today, you are missing out on somebody and you are chasing the idea of being with someone else other than your spouse, stop chasing that idea. God did not make a mistake by putting you two together. God has you with who he wants you with. Stop thinking there's someone else out there that's going to make you happy. No. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your holiness. It's worth it because God desires your holiness over your happiness. And holiness is found in your, your happiness is found in your holiness. I like to think of it this way. There are not two people in your marriage today. There are three. You, your spouse, and Jesus. Together pursue him because that spouse will appear before Christ one day. Help your wife get ready for that. Help your husband get ready for that. And as we close, let me say, I, I know there's pain in the past, but your past does not determine your present, and it doesn't determine your future. What happened in the past can be forgiven in Jesus. In Christ, you are a new creation. In Christ, there is grace for you today. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, where he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. 
Jesus is telling Paul right there in a hard part in his life, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And that's not saving grace he's talking about there. It's sustaining grace. He's saying, Paul, my presence, my grace, my power is sustaining you right now. And it is sufficient. It is good. The way it's written in the Greek means it's ever present for you. So in your struggles, no matter your relationship status this morning, single, dating, married, widow, divorce, no matter your pain or your problems, your past doesn't determine your present. And your present doesn't have to determine your future. Because with Christ, there is forgiveness. With Christ, there is grace. With Christ, there is a future. We're going to sing this song here in a moment. And I want you to listen to the words. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst from a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows. Trade them from joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God desires your holiness more than just your happiness. Let's pray together. I want to thank you for joining us and watching today's message. And I want to just go over a quick story with you that's a really important story in the Bible and it means a lot to me. It's about a man by the name of Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus was a guy who pretty much grew up going to church all his life. And one night he comes to Jesus, and it's late in the evening, and he sits down with Jesus, and he essentially asks him a question. Jesus, how do I go to heaven? How do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds in John chapter 3 that you have to be born again. Now, Nicodemus asks a very practical question. We all would think, well, how in the world can someone be physically born twice? But Jesus wasn't talking about a second physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth, that you have to be born again. See, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that without Christ, our spirits are dead. And we're not able to worship God and love God and honor God. But then when we come to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, Jesus helps us to be born again. He gives us new birth and our spirits come alive. And so Ephesians chapter 2 again then says, Then by grace you have been saved. It's not a work of yourself. It's the work of Jesus in your life. But listen, that has to be received. You have to receive that gift of grace in your life and believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. And simply put it this way, did Jesus do everything he possibly could do to save you on the cross? Or is there something else out there? Is he the only way or are there other ways? You know, the way to be saved is to say Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And friend, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, Jesus forgives you of all your sin, past, present, and future. And when you die, one day he will take you to be with him in heaven. And so when you think about the wonderful promises of Jesus, I want to encourage you today right where you are to receive them and believe in him. And so if you are ready to do that today, let's just bow in prayer. And I'm going to encourage you in your heart today to mean these words because this is what God says, that when we believe in our hearts that Jesus has died on the cross for us, that we can be saved. So would you pray with me? You can simply say, Dear God, today 
I believe Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm placing my faith and trust in Him, in Him alone. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and one day taking me to heaven to be with you forever. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Friend, I want to thank you so much today for watching our message and encourage you. If you've prayed today to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, please let us know so we can come alongside of you and encourage you, help you take your next step of faith. You can connect with us at our website, heightschurch.org connect. You can even leave a comment here on this YouTube page and we'll be in touch with you because we want to just come alongside of you and help you take that next step of faith. So until next time, thank you for joining us today and we'll see you soon.